Next on PIJN News, Dr. Chaps reports on these important issues. America's foreign policy, terrorism, immigration, ISIS, Syrian rebels immigrating to America, what should we do? I'm gonna interview an expert, Dr. Alan Keyes, right now. Former Navy Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt took a stand to defend religious freedom by daring to pray publicly in Jesus' name. Now he helps you by reporting the news, discerning the spirits, and praying the scriptures. Would you pray with us? Here's Dr. Chaps. God bless you in Jesus' name. My name is Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt, Dr. Chaps, and you're watching PIJN News. Today we have part three of our in-studio interview with Dr. Alan Keyes, Ronald Reagan's ambassador to a subdivision of the United Nations, former assistant secretary of state, Harvard PhD. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you, good to be with you. So I know we're gonna talk about foreign policy, about terrorism, what should be our immigration policy. Uh, Donald Trump says we should not let Muslims immigrate for a little bit, but let's set that aside. Yesterday, you were enlightening us about the Constitution and the Electoral College. Can you give us a recap and, and the last thing you wanted to say on that? Well, I think it's important to focus on what really is supposed to happen according to the Constitution uh, on election day for president. And you're supposed to be choosing somebody you trust to represent you to select a president. You're not supposed to be choosing the president because the president isn't actually chosen by you. The president is chosen by the Electoral College. Now, they have created a fiction that these parties represent you and the parties choose. You do realize that as a result of the party system, most people don't even know who those electors are, haven't got the faintest idea what those names represent on the ballot, and therefore haven't exercised their judgment. So instead of the founder's intention, which is that you would make a choice that would be based on people you have reason to know, firsthand or at best secondhand, but you know them, you've seen them in your community, they've been working on things you're aware of and so forth. Those would be the electors. So instead of dealing with people you know from first-hand experience or through people you trust, what are you dealing with? You're dealing with a bunch of personalities that you don't know, that you hadn't heard of, some of them since till the day before yesterday, and that are fabricated to represent things that some pollster tells them or some focus groups tells them is on your mind, whether they truly believe in it or not. And as a result, instead of focusing on your responsibility to choose somebody who represents you, you are in fact faced with the difficult task of choosing among personalities you don't know based on information you can't trust to supposedly produce a result that is then gonna represent what you think is good for the country. That's irresponsible. So the electoral college happening. has been forgotten. The constitutional vision of our founding fathers has been forgotten. Instead, we just vote for these giant media personalities like Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And, but what and we where do, does that leave you know us? at the end of the Wizard of Oz where the guy's a big balloon head? That's what we vote for. We vote for the balloon head of the Wizard of Oz. The man behind and the curtain. And we never get to see the person who is actually standing behind the curtain manipulating that balloon head because <laughs> those people are not the ones you know and vote for. You don't even get to know them. And as a result, we get a manipulated result. People wonder, why don't they represent me? Why do I vote for these people? And then they don't do what they say. Because they never believed what they said in the first place. And even if they did, they were being pushed forward and manipulated by people who would then twist their arms up behind their back and threaten to make sure they never got reelected 
so that they would not represent you. Haven't you noticed that that's what's going on in the Congress of the United States? And I don't mean once or twice. I mean since the Obama administration began, that's all the GOP representatives in Congress have been up to. They have been betraying the people that they are supposed to represent. They have been voting for things, especially the leaders promoting things that Obama wants, that are against the Constitution, that are against the best interest of the country, that trample on our rights. And then they come to Election Day and want to say, you have no choice, you got to vote for us. Well, that's not what the founders wanted. The founders wanted you to exercise your judgment, your true judgment. They wanted you to do what you do best, which is know the people you live with and work with and know that if somebody asked you, well, if you had to choose somebody to represent you in the choice for president, Alan, who would it be? You see? And I know what the answer would be if I lived around here. I'd say, I'd choose Gordon Klingenschmidt. He's a guy who thinks the way I do, has worked for the things that I believe in, believes in it. I've seen him on the front lines, worked with him in the trenches, and he's a guy who would go and choose the kind of person I believe in to be president and do the things that I think are right for the country. Step number one. What's the second thing that would be the focus of the election? The second thing would be the thing that has become most forgotten these days, except as a way of fooling gullible people, and that's the platforms. The things that represent, as it were, the guidelines or instructions to the search committee. Look for somebody who has these capabilities, who will do these things, and who is the best one to get these things done according to what we believe is right and best for our country. So for example, the Republican platform says we're gonna be pro-life, traditional marriage, religious freedom, but then the candidates that end up getting elected have no loyalty to that platform. And they say so. You know, the thing that ought to warn you about the phoniness of the present system now is that they're no longer obliged to say that they're gonna support the platform. A matter of fact, some of them think that the best way to get elected is to have the platform go fool the conservatives and the Christian believers and then go out and really campaign to get the support of the people who are left-wing and liberal and will back you when you do the things the conservatives don't want. The big, the big money that? people. The right? big money people, uh, the big union people, uh, whatever is going to get you that winning margin. That's what you're going to go after. And it has become so explicit now that whether it's at, in a Senate election like Mississippi or in the very person of Donald Trump, these people are openly telling conservatives, uh, everybody now, it started out where I and a few others were pointing to his background saying, this guy's not a conservative. Now I've noticed Rush Limbaugh and other pundit, Michael, other people are just saying it openly. This guy's not a conservative. He's never been a conservative. He hasn't acted like or talked like a conservative. They, some of them have even been honest enough to point out that on immigration, his big issue, that he's been, uh, I call it demagoguing to death, right? He's a demagogue in the classic sense that the founders used the word. Somebody who's going to tell you what you want to hear so that they can destroy your liberty after they get into power and make themselves dictators. That's, that's, a, a, that's Donald Trump, but that's also the elitist faction. The whole faction that controls the Republican and Democrat parties in this country, it's actually a one-faction uh, system now, that faction hates the Constitution, hates the principle of egalitarian respect for, for, for justice, where everybody's equal under the law. They hate it. And they, all they want is to be out from under the constraint respect for rights that come from the transcendent authority of God. They want it done with. That's a good segue. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, immigration policy as it pertains to a constitutional defense of our national security with Dr. Alan Keyes. This is PIJN News, defending your religious freedom. Dr. Chaps will be right back. Do you believe that abortion kills innocent children? 
If so, I want you to take action today and sign a petition at PrayInJesusName.org. Here's three petitions we need you to sign. The number one is to stop Planned Parenthood from getting your taxpayer dollars. Did you know they've received now $487 million in your taxpayer dollars? I don't think that's right. They use that money to facilitate 329,445 abortions. Not really to pay for adoption or mammograms, but just to kill innocent children. Sign a petition today at PrayInJesusName.org. Here's number two petition we want you to sign, and that's to defund Obamacare. This bad healthcare law is now forcing Christian employers to pay for contraception, sterilization, and abortion pills free of charge for all their employees, or the Christian employer has to pay a $100 fine per day per employee. That's gonna bankrupt our friends like the Hobby Lobby Corporation, Christian business owners, and even Catholic hospitals now are being forced to pay for abortions. The Obama administration is now promoting the Plan B abortion pill over the counter for children as young as seven years old. Here's petition number three we need you to sign at PrayInJesusName.org to help pass Senate Bill 583, the Life Begins at Conception Act. This personhood bill, introduced by my friend, Senator Rand Paul, can actually defend life and help overturn Roe versus Wade. Take action today. I know you care about the unborn, but please sign a petition today at PrayInJesusName.org. We will fax that petition free of charge to your congressman. Sign a petition at PrayInJesusName.org. Take action today if you're pro-life. Empowering you, the grassroots activist. Here is Dr. Chaps. Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps. We're now gonna have an exhilarating foreign policy discussion with Ronald Reagan's ambassador to what department of the United Nations? Well, I was called the United Nations Economic and Social Council. I also was on the National Security Council staff dealing with uh, issues of terrorism uh, and served and as Assistant, Assistant Secret Secretary of State right. for the whole uh, system of international organizations, including the organizations that deal with human rights, uh, nuclear energy, as well, of course, as the UN and its various. So your foreign agencies. policy credentials are as, as good as any other constitutional credentials you have, but Donald Trump has been saying, because of the terrorism problem, and we saw the recent shooting in San Bernardino, that Muslims should be excluded from immigrating or even be giving refugee status to America until Congress can figure out what's going on, if I'm paraphrasing him correctly. But what does he mean by that, or what do you think? Well, I, I think that what he means by that is that because you have in the Middle East a hotbed of terrorism, uh, countries that are basically the centers and, and foci for the development of the people who carry out terrorism, that therefore we shouldn't be importing the problem into the United States. Uh, and as a general formulation, I agree with that. We shouldn't be importing the people into the United States who are coming to this country to kill us, and we never should have imported them. But there are two problems now. First, I know and remember that Donald Trump supported all of the people and policies who put us in this position. Oh, Ellen, why is that significant? Including it's Hillary significant, Clinton. It's significant because Donald Trump is talking as if something he is going to do is gonna prevent Muslims from coming into the country. When I assure you, there are already thousands of such terrorist cadre in our country already. I would stake my life on it, 
And I think we are staking the life of our country on neglecting to face that fact. So giving the impression that if we slam the door now, we've solved the problem, that's just a lie. Uh, and it's a cover for the fact that the betrayal has already occurred. Uh, those of us who were fighting in the trenches to get a strict enforcement of our immigration laws, to get the forces needed. When I ran for office, I advocated the establishment of a force for our border that would be up to the job of actually policing the border, which our present border patrol is not, and that would be augmented by essentially a civilian surveyor, uh, uh, observer force that would be organized along the lines of the constitutional militia, not with guns and all necessarily, not including that, but without that necessarily. But really, as remember during the Second World War, the British organized civilians to keep uh, out a lookout to see when the Nazi planes were coming to bomb different parts of England? We could have a civilian force that was like that. They would then phone in accurate information because they've been trained to do that, and there would then be a response from the military forces. That's how the Israelis control the border that they have uh, with a certain dangerous terrorist hotbed uh, areas in their country. And they also have built a fence using all the modern technology that we have available to make sure that we can surveil every last inch. And it would be possible now, and relatively cheaply, given the technology available, coordinated by, by satellite technology, we could do it. But there's been no will to do it, and Donald Trump supported the people who didn't have the will to do it. He did so all the way up to a big event that occurred some months ago in Arizona, where he went, taking his usual stand, and he got so pilloried for it from the people he's trying to fool, that he abruptly changed his tune and tried to act as if he had never been identified with Rubio and the Gang of Eight and laxity on the border and support for all these people who are responsible for the mess we're in. I don't believe in such changes of heart. I believe they're done for the political convenience of the ambitious politicos who are manipulating us. And if you trust that, then you've got more confidence in nothing than I'm willing to put in it. Uh, and, and so I would say that people being gulled by Trump will deserve what they get, but our country won't deserve it. So I wish they'd change their mind. Well, until he ran for president, Donald Trump was always a Hillary Clinton supporter and her foreign policy, uh, by demonstration of her having been secretary of state during a failed presidency of Obama, President Obama toward especially the Muslim Brotherhood. We That's saw right. the failure in Egypt, we saw it in Libya, we saw it in Syria, and now the, the bad deal with Iran. Iran's gonna become a nuclear power. What should America's foreign policy be? Well, first of all, I think our policy ought to be to treat our enemies as our enemies. Not to think that we're gonna be able to manipulate the situation so people who are openly saying they're our enemies will be armed by the United States because they're fighting somebody else who are, who's our enemy. You know, I hear it all the time, and I just shake my head. People who, who cite that the enemy of our enemy is our friend. And, and my, my, my response to that always, not if they're, all, they're still your declared enemy. You know, if somebody who is the enemy of somebody who's your enemy is still your declared enemy, and you start to give them guns and stuff and treat them like a friend, you deserve the slaughter that's going to result from it. You're that stupid. And so I think that we ought to stop being taken in by the silly supposed wisdom and so forth. Uh, and, and, and I noticed that Bibi Netanyahu, he, he, uh, when he gave his speech to Congress, he particularly singled out that silly notion and said, no, you can't trust that. That's not always true. And it's especially not always true in the Middle East. So when you have a guy supporting 
in the past, Hillary Clinton. Now, what was Hillary Clinton involved with Benghazi? What was Benghazi about? Well, to the best of my knowledge, from people like uh, David Capellian at, at World Net Daily and other sources, it looks like that whole Benghazi operation was about funneling weapons to the people who were the opponents of Assad, who is in Syria. Now, who was among the opponents of Assad? ISIS. So it is very likely that we were actually responsible for funneling weapons into the hands of ISIS because we had these people in the Obama administration so clever that they were making, well, the enemy of our enemy and therefore we'll give them weapons and they'll be our friends. And then it turns out that they're bloodthirsty enemies whom we have just armed and they don't think that it's not possible to fight an enemy over here and an enemy over there at the same time. Now, we used to be masters of that. We used to know about just fighting your enemies. The Japanese were our enemies and the Germans were our enemies. Others were our enemies. We were gonna fight them, right? And, and you make prudential adjustments, judgments like the judgment we made during the Second World War, that we were going to sit down with, talk with, cooperate with the Soviets when they were under gun from the Nazis. Did that mean that after the war we kept believing in this nostrum, the enemy of our enemy is our friend, the Soviets are the enemy of our enemy, they must be our friends? No, you look at the facts. And if they've turned into your enemy, you start treating them like your enemy. Uh, and, and so I think that all of the things that are now going on, that uh, act as if we can somehow be shrewd enough, and we're going to be smart enough, uh, to deal with the treacherous shoals of the Middle East in a way that builds up people who are our open enemies, that gives them the confidence they need to do stuff like they just did with our sailors. Now, I am not one of those who thinks, by the way, that uh, um, you wouldn't, anybody wouldn't, want to take a situation where if you knew that our soldiers had crossed into somebody else's waters, uh, you would want to get that over with as quickly as possible, rather than giving them a big chance to grandstand at your expense. Okay? Uh, and you don't, by the way, add, compound the error that they've already made by investing more of your military capital, unless they didn't really make a mistake, unless they were in fact attacked in international waters. But the question I would raise is you can't look at that situation just in the aftermath. You've got to ask yourself, what, why were the Iranians bold enough that instead of doing what would usually have been done, you just give them a warning and let them go, they actually captured our people, risked the diplomatic opprobrium, knowing that they wouldn't have to pay a price even in diplomatic terms. That's what you have to fault Obama for. Obama has essentially turned us into a, a, uh, a kind of footstool for these people. They despise us and no longer believe that we have the will to use such power as we have. And the second thing, sadly, is I think Obama has actually let our power deteriorate to a point where in terms of the actual wherewithal we have to deal with some of these situations, he's let it slide. And he's also been a person who, in his rules of engagement and other activities, has done what he seems prone to do. He's attacked the people who are supposed to defend us. He's demoralized the soldiers who are responsible for defending us. He has actually behaved as what I called him years ago. He's the first anti-American ever to occupy the White House, and it was insane to put him there. So we need a stronger military, a stronger foreign policy. We'll be back in a moment with one more segment with Dr. Ellen Keyes. Dr. Chaps will be right back with more PIJN News. How is your marriage doing? Ladies, would you like to learn how to get your husband to love you the way Christ loves the church? Men, would you like your wife to show proper respect? 
You know there's a Bible way to have a godly marriage? I'm not saying I'm the expert, but we interview in a four-part video teaching series a marriage and family ministry expert, Vince Dacchioli. And we go through the scriptures in four different parts. Part one is God's design for man and woman. Part two is godly roles for husband and wife. Three is sex and intimacy within godly marriage. And also God's plan for divorce. You wanna have this important four-part video series available for a suggested donation of $30 if you call our toll-free prayer line at 866-Obey-God. Again, that's 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. Or visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org. Introducing FactsCongress.com. Do you care about politics, defending pro-life causes, traditional marriage, and religious freedom? At FactsCongress.com, you can create any petition to Congress, and we will convert your e-petition instantly to a real fax paper on your congressman's desk. And the best part? It's free. Want your voice heard by multiple congressmen? At FactsCongress.com, we can blast your petition to all 535 congressmen and senators instantly. And you don't even need a fax machine. Not only do we deliver your petitions instantly, but with our dashboard feature, you can quickly recruit friends on Facebook and Twitter to co-sign your petition. Do you care about a particular cause? You can build a virtual army of supporters at FactsCongress.com. Do you lead a church, faith-based organization, or PAC? We can even help you do fundraising. It's free. Just visit FactsCongress.com and try it out. Make a difference. Sign any petition today at FactsCongress.com. FactsCongress.com. Stay tuned for the end of our show to learn how to partner with this ministry. Here's Dr. Chaps. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Chaps. We're talking about foreign policy. Again, my dear friend, Dr. Ellen Keyes. Uh, talk for a minute about Israel and again about uh, Islam generally. Well, well, first of all, I, everybody knows I, I am a strong supporter of the U.S.-Israel relationship, have been for many years. Um, at the same time that I believe that we don't always have exactly the same interests uh, as Israel and we need to understand this. And, and we need always to be doing what's necessary in order uh, to make sure that we are securing the people and best interests of our country. That should be taken for granted. Um, second, I do agree, though, on one point where I think that Bibi Netanyahu and other people in the Israeli government, they haven't been appreciative of Donald Trump's rhetoric where we're turning the whole situation into a situation where we're against Islam, we're against Muslims. Okay? I have actually articulated every last element of the case that is problematic about, for instance, Islam and our constitutional way of life. We can't allow Sharia law in this country. We can't allow Muslims to come into America and think that they can abuse the rights of women and their children and other people in contravention of the under basic understanding of rights our country is founded on. I have great confidence in that, partly at least because I'm not a separation of church and state guy. I don't believe in all that lie. I know that the country was founded on a certain understanding of who God is and that if we abandon that understanding in favor of the Muslim understanding or anybody else's understanding, our country must collapse. And so we've got to be strong against those things that are in contradiction. But what am I doing? I'm not saying anything, I hate Muslims, don't I bring them. I am saying I'm going to stand in defense of what America is, what America stands for, that is true and right and has proven to be good for our people and for people around the world, which is why a lot of people, Muslim and otherwise, want to come to this country. We should present ourselves in that positive way, the way our people mostly have. Uh, second point, what is served 
by saying that we don't want people, because they're Muslims, to come into this country. Do I say that I don't want decent law-abiding Muslim people who are willing to accept our understanding of rights and constitutional constraints to come into this country and eventually even become citizens? No, I'm not saying that. They're the ones who are going to have to work out how they reconcile that with a Quran that has many elements that are in contradiction with those viewpoints, but they will have to in order to function as people in America. We're not going to accept Islam as the basis for our laws. That's my strong position and I won't change it. On the other hand, by giving the impression that the reason we don't want them to come is because they're Muslims, these people act as if we're just going to be dealing with the Muslims in the Middle East, but I'm sorry, almost, a lot of the Muslims don't live in the Middle East. Uh, I think the largest uh, Muslim population is in Indonesia, which is not filled with people who hate us and aid in the As a matter of fact, Indonesia has been a country very much the victim of the very same terrorists in various ways uh, for, uh, for, for reasons that I think are, are part of that situation. Why would we want to take an approach that instead of focusing on what is the real problem, that we will not tolerate nations that become hotbeds of and sponsors for these terrorist activities, and we will certainly not allow their nationals to come into this country. We will not import their nationals with these refugee programs. I don't see anything wrong with that. We gotta slam the door on that because we've already let that problem, as I said a few minutes ago, grow to the point where it's sufficiently dangerous that I think we need to look at the Second Amendment and begin a wholesale effort to make sure our neighborhoods and our locales are able to defend themselves. I had this but I don't think we have to do it on a basis that gives our enemies in the Islamic world a chance to say, you see, you should join us in hating America because they hate us. I had this debate with uh, Ellen Combs on Fox News, I think a couple months ago, where I said, our foreign policy should not be to keep out all the Muslims, just the jihadists. Is there a way to sort the jihadists from the Muslims who still believe the Quran but don't want to wage terror? I think the best way to do it in a simple sense is what I just said. You know, if you are dealing with countries that have large Muslim populations, where you're dealing with a government and others who are working hard against the jihadists to stop them from organizing, stop them from uh, developing, uh, cooperating with us in fighting them, uh, then, then I think those people ought to be given consideration uh, and vetted, properly vetted, and I'll get to that in a minute, to come into the United we States. We 30 seconds. But if you're dealing with, uh, with these countries in the Middle East that have been openly supportive of terrorism, whether it's Syria, Iran, other places like this, a lot of Palestinians and so forth, of course you give them problems. Of course you slam the door on them. Uh, and, and any suggestion to the contrary, I think, is anti-American and against our best, uh, best interests. Last point, the people who say it's impossible to vet folks are wrong. The only thing that we do have to understand is that what these uh, leftists call profiling is the key to making sure we vet them properly because what you have to vet individuals on the basis of y'all is your experience of individuals. If you're not allowed to consult that experience, you are going to fail and that's the stupidity of all uh, anti-profiling because in point of fact, you can't enforce the law unless you get a sense of who is prone to break the law and apply it. Our guest has been Dr. Alan Keyes. His website, loyaltoliberty.com, or our website is prayinjesusname.org. We're out of time, we'll see you next time.
Chaplain Klingenschmidt is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy who earned his Ph.D. in theology from Regent University. As a former Navy chaplain, by taking a public stand for freedom of speech and religious expression, and by sacrificing his own 16-year career and million-dollar pension, he was vindicated by the U.S. Congress, who changed the law and restored freedom for military chaplains to pray in Jesus' name. Dr. Chaps not only defended the Constitution, but his petitions have helped change the law in 10 states, restoring freedom to pray in Jesus' name. Dr. Chaps needs your financial support to stay on the air. Would you please send your best donation today? Please visit PrayInJesusName.org to donate online. Or you can mail a check to Pray In Jesus Name Ministries, Post Office Box 77077, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80970. You can also call us toll free right now at 866-Obey-God. That's 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. Please sign up for our free emails at PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org.